Vordo was here last week. Vordo did a great job opening up our series, The Voice. I appreciate what he brought, and he talked to us about how God has always been interested in speaking to his people, in not only listening, but speaking to his people. He's done it in a variety of ways throughout history. And so in this series, we're exploring how God desires to speak to you and how you can do a better job of listening. I was thinking this week of the story I heard one time of these three guys who went elk hunting. You had an accountant, you had a lawyer, you had a preacher, and there they were together walking through the woods when suddenly, maybe 70, 80 yards in front of them, walking through a clearing, they saw a a giant elk. They pretty much instinctively and instantaneously, all three took aim. They all three shot, and sure enough, they fell the elk. He just dropped. They knew that one of their shots had hit him. They ran up to inspect the kill, and when they got there, they were happy that they had dropped the animal, but the problem was they couldn't figure out which one of them had actually gotten the kill shot. Whose bullet actually hit the animal? And so they're arguing about it. When after a few moments, a, a, a game officer comes upon them arguing, he says, what are you guys arguing about? And they explain the situation. We all three shot at the same time, but we're not sure whose bullet hit the elk. Well, the game officer went over to the animal, and after a very brief inspection, confidently announced it was the preacher. The preacher shot the animal. The three guys looked at each other, and they asked the game officer, how on earth did you come to that conclusion and come to that conclusion so quickly? And the officer said, really, it's pretty easy. Upon inspection, I saw that the bullet passed through one ear and out the other. (laughs) Well, preachers and prophets have faced that dilemma since the beginning. In fact, Jesus himself faced that dilemma. People have always had this inclination to hear the Word of God, but not hear the Word of God. To be present physically, but not to actually receive the message. And Jesus spent a lot of time talking about that. In fact, over 50 times in the gospel, he gives this command to people who are in front of him, hear, hear. God has something to say to you. Will you listen? One time he quoted the prophet Isaiah with these words in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. Jesus said, For the minds of these people have become stubborn. They do not hear with their ears, and they do not see with their eyes. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might really understand what they see with their eyes and what they hear with their ears. They might really understand in their minds and come back to me and be healed. Through one ear and out the other. People did that with the Word of God. They even did that when the Son of God was preaching through one ear and out the other. And my prayer for me and my prayer for you, my prayer for my kids and my wife, that we will be among those who are blessed, 
who hear the word, who understand the word, who draw near to God, and as Jesus said, who find healing. That's my prayer for us, and I think that's why you're here this morning. I think that's why you're here. Now to our main text. This is from Exodus chapter 3, chapter 4. One of many instances recorded in the Bible where God spoke into someone's life. Exodus 3, 4 tells us about a man who was living um, a pretty good life. An okay life. But a man who was called to something greater, to something bigger. A man who was called to be near God... A man who was called to be used powerfully by God. And so for the first something like 40 years of his life, Moses was on an epic run. I mean, he was hitting jackpot jackpot after jackpot in his life. It started a little rough, though. He was born a Hebrew in, in Egypt at the time. Hebrew baby boys were persecuted by the Pharaoh. Those are, were perilous times to be born a baby boy to one of the Hebrew slaves. And so his mom kind of rolled the dice. She thought his best chance was for him to, to be placed in this kind of bassinet boat and to be just pushed out onto the croc-infested waters of the Nile, I think. CPS might have reported her if they'd had that back then. I don't know about that move. But there she goes. She launches him onto the waters of the Nile. And you know the story. Everybody knows the story. That little SS bassinet gets caught up in some reeds along the bank of, of the far shore of the Nile. And guess who is there at that precise moment with her attendants preparing to bathe? It is Pharaoh's own daughter she hears the cry of the baby she sends her attendant to rescue this baby boy and yes jackpot she adopts Moses as her own child wow so now Moses this tiny baby Hebrew boy is going to be raised as a member of the royal household the royal household of Egypt, the world's economic superpower, richest place on earth, the, the source of science and technology in the ancient world, the military superpower of the ancient world. And Moses is going to be raised as a prince of Egypt. Jackpot. Not only that, but you may be wondering, but what about his relationship with his mom? She is going to be hired by Pharaoh's daughter. You remember this. She is going to be hired to be Moses' nanny. Okay? So he is going to know his mom. And he is going to learn his true identity as a Hebrew, as one of God's people. Jackpot. I mean, if the story ended right there, this would be enough to classify as a fairy tale ending of course that's just the beginning for Moses isn't it all the arrows were pointing up considering how everything everything had worked together in his life up to this point he is on the fast track to power fast track to success may one day even be Pharaoh who knows his resume is so strong at this point the fairy tale beginning 
And then you know, suddenly, unexpectedly, this, uh, this winning streak came to an abrupt end. It happened when he encountered a cruel Egyptian taskmaster who was just beating and beating on this poor Hebrew slave. And, and, and Moses haps upon the scene, and Moses instinctively reacts, violently reacts, and kills this Egyptian master. And there are witnesses to the crime. And suddenly this favored son in Pharaoh's own household is a fugitive on the run. See, Egyptians frowned on killing Egyptians, okay? And so he is now running off into the wilds, into the wilderness, into the, the desert, the Sinai Peninsula there. And I guess you could say this is Moses' first swing at deliverance, isn't it? This is his first attempt at delivering God's people, and it did not go so well, okay? Arrows aren't pointing up anymore. And so Moses then disappears, essentially, into the wilderness for decades totally off the radar in Egypt. His job would be that of tending another guy's sheep. In fact, his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. He's going to take care of someone else's property. From the fast track to the throne to wham, to taking care of some other guy's stuff out in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, I think we can say at this point in the story, the winning streak is, is over, okay? Years pass, right? Decades pass, and this is it. I mean, the promise is fading of his early life. The potential seems to have vanished of that earlier life. He's never going to be the ruler of Egypt. He's never going to be again part of the royal household of Egypt. The only thing this man gets to rule is an unruly herd of sheep. How did that feel? When he put his head on the pillow at night, how did that feel? How did it feel to one moment be a high roller in the superpower of Egypt and the next to have a dead-end job in the desert? How did that feel? He's getting older. I mean, we forget this, but when God finally called Moses... We would say he was at retirement age, folks. How does, that feel? How does it feel to find yourself in the wilderness? Some of you know how that feels. You had big dreams. You had big potential. That was ages ago. And now you find yourself kind of wandering metaphorically kind of taking care of someone else's sheep <laughs> well after decades of wilderness wandering something very unexpected happened that would change everything this is where this greater story for Moses begins this is where the redemption of a nation Begins, and this is where his own personal redemption begins. As he becomes involved in the bigger story.
You remember, Moses has been out doing what Moses does, taking care of Jethro's sheep. In the distance, he sees a flicker of light, which is weird. There's nothing, 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 nothing flicker of light. And as he approaches it, that flicker of light shimmers brighter and brighter. And when he finally ascends the side of the mountain where he believes the light source is emanating from, it glows like a blazing fire. Only the weird part, you know this in the story, it's this bush that is ablaze, but it does not burn up. It is a holy fire. And I found myself this week imagining... Okay, what would that be like if, if this was me instead of Moses? What would it be like to come down off the mountain and to relate this story to a friend? How would all of this sound? You know, the other day, minding my own business, and I saw a glowing bush. A glowing bush. Of course, I was the only one that saw it. Nobody else was there. And oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, the, the bush started talking to me. How would that go over? I mean, I think my friend would start recommending some professional help. I, I mean, I think that's what a friend would do, really. I, I, it's not normal. My friend would be saying, okay, so tell, you're telling me that you are seeing and hearing things. That's no bueno, okay? We're going to get you some help. Except this is real. In fact, as I'm thinking about this story, wouldn't you say this was the realest moment in the history of Moses' life? Like everything up to this point, I believe, was like black and white. It's like the moment, you know, in The Wizard of Oz when it goes color. I think everyone was kind of bland and black and white, as remarkable as his story is. And this moment is like... A burst of reality. And the voice spoke. Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And I find myself, I don't know about you, I find myself, when I'm reading this story, I kind of jump ahead to that amazing part of the story where God reveals His name, His covenant name, for the first time ever. I'm Yahweh, the I Am. But I don't want to, and I don't want us to pass over, that's not the only name in the story, is it? Moses, Moses, God calls him by name. This is an intimate moment 
with the Lord. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah 43.1, quoting God, I have called you by name. You are mine. Read that with me. I have called you by name. You are mine. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, God has called you by name. God has called you by name. God has called you by name. Amen? If you're in the wilderness, right? If you're in a season of hurt and confusion, the Lord has not forgotten you. Decades have passed. The Lord had not forgotten Moses. He calls him by name, Moses. Moses, I know you. From the halls of power in Egypt to wandering in the wastelands, Moses had lived as a man on the run decades and decades. He has been driven by this one moment of violence. And now God, Yahweh, has called him Moses to be the deliverer. One extraordinary story of redemption, right? And this story is not just a story of redemption for Israel, for the Hebrew people. It's a story of redemption as well for this man who was so lost. And God found him in the desert. And so God calls Moses to end his exile from Egypt to return and to free the Hebrew people. And Moses' reply, I'm sure we all would have replied like this, who, me, is essentially his reply. How can I go? I don't even know your name. I can't even tell my people who it is that sent me to deliver them. And God responds, I am. My name is Yahweh. My name is I am. And so Moses begins, you remember the story probably, he begins to verbalize doubts about himself, about his abilities. And God answers those doubts not by saying, oh, you're wrong, Moses. You really are an eloquent speaker. You really are a great speaker. That's not how God answers his doubts. God answers his doubts by saying, I will go with you. And guys, that's enough, isn't it? When you doubt yourself and your abilities and you're afraid, God says to you, I will go with you. That's enough. His provision is enough. And let me interrupt the story here. I think this is important because a lot of people have doubts. Doubts are a good thing. In fact, you cannot have faith without doubts. Faith without doubts, the Bible calls that sight. One day, you will be face to face with God, face to face in heaven, and you will not need your doubts, and you will not need your faith. But here and now, faith does not exist without doubt. And don't dismiss those doubts too quickly. And don't feel like those make you less of a person of faith. Moses had his doubts. Moses articulated those doubts in the presence of the God of the universe. 
He debates with God, sort of debates with God. He's like, God, are you, are you sure you want me? Don't you want someone else? I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm not a great leader. I mean, look at my brother Aaron. Aaron is good in front of people. Aaron is an orator, and God says, okay, I can work with those doubts. We'll send Aaron with you, right? He can go along. God never said, I'm going to fix all of your weaknesses. Or he never said, you're wrong, Moses. Your weaknesses are really actually strengths. He never says anything. He just says, I'll go with you. I'll take care of it. Back to hearing. Back to seeing. Some people, they don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see. They are constantly surrounded everywhere they go by hurts and by needs, but they just don't seem to see it. They go right on with their eye on their little herd of sheep, tending to their own business, and they do not see and they do not hear the hurts around them. That's not the most tragic thing, though. Because there are others, right, who see the hurts, who see the needs, who are burdened by the world around them, but they cannot see the supply that God provides. And so they are paralyzed and they do nothing. They feel inadequate. So they stay put. Everybody feels inadequate at times. God never feels inadequate. The I am is all-powerful, and he knows you by name, and you belong to him, and he'll take care of things, okay? Write this down on the outline this morning. This may be the one point that you need to hear today, and this is it. If the devil doesn't blind me to the need, he will blind me to the supply. Speak that with me. If the devil doesn't blind me to the need, he will blind me to the supply. Either way, he wins. Either way, you're doing nothing in the world to heal the brokenness to meet the needs of people around you. And in the end, we know this part. We've all seen the movie with Charlton Heston, I imagine. In the end, he says yes to God. And he is used to liberate the people from their captivity. So three quick points. And seriously, we're going to go through these really, really quickly this morning. Three quick points about what you do when you hear God or how you make yourself available to the voice of God. Three quick things from Moses. Name calling here. He calls God by name. God calls him by name. Here goes the first thing. I hear him. I hear God most clearly when I am aware of my limitations. Humility, not pride, opens me to hear the voice. When I've got doubts about myself, I'm ready. You know the story there in verse 10? 
Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not good now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Keenly aware of his own inadequacy, he's ready to hear God. Second bullet point there. I hear God most clearly when I'm concerned with him in the private moments, not just in the public spotlight. Where is all of this happening, right? This is happening when Moses is alone. This is happening when Moses finds himself in the wilderness, in a desert place. Exodus 3.1. You get alone with God, you can hear God's voice. It's not crowded out by all of the other noise, by all the other voices at that moment. And then finally, I hear him most clearly when I know, and we're going to finish with this this morning, when I know whose I am, that my identity is wrapped up in Christ. In this case, Moses' identity was wrapped up in being part of God's people. And for us as believers, when we know whose we are, we're ready to hear. Hebrews talks about Moses in chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, check this out, he's, he's, he's aware of his identity here, okay? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Could have been. Could have been. Refused it. He chose to share in the oppression of God's people. Knew who he was. So ask yourself, when he speaks, will his voice go through one ear and out the other? Or will I pay attention? Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. Speak. It all starts with finding out who you really are. For Moses, it was this conviction. You know, I'm not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I belong to God's people. I belong to him. Now, forgive the grammar here, but it all comes down to who you are is his. Who you are is his. Tim Chester wrote a book called Exodus for You. And in this neat little book, he shares a way of thinking about who we are. And I'll kind of use, I'll paraphrase what he says here. But I want you to imagine that you have taken a trip to London. You show up in front of Buckingham Palace. That's what all Americans do eventually, end up in front of Buckingham Palace. And you knock on, I don't know if it's a, probably not a door, right? Some kind of gate well away from the palace itself. And a kind of surprised palace guard comes over and says, how may I, how may I help you? And you say, well, I'm visiting in London. I'd like to go and visit the queen. I want to talk to the queen. Now, you know that's not going to go well, right? 
you're probably not going to get shot or anything, but it's not going to go well. The guard's going to ask, you know, who, do you, who do you think you are? What right do you have to come into the palace, A, B, to talk with the queen? You wouldn't get past the front gate, would you? Now think about Kate Middleton, right? A few years back, she was just like us. A few years back, if Kate Middleton had gone to the front gate of the palace, she wouldn't have been allowed any further. Now she has total access. She can go anywhere in the palace she wants. She can call Queen Elizabeth mom, right? Or mum. Why? She married the prince. I'm with him. I belong to him. So who is the Kate Middleton we know today? She is her royal highness, the Duchess of Cambridge. Kate Middleton is part of the royal family. Her identity comes from that relationship with her husband now. In the same way we get our identity from Jesus Christ, we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. The Lord Jesus looks at us and He says, you're with me. You're mine. The King of Kings says, you're mine. You belong to me. You're part of God's family. He called you by name. You are His. And God called Moses by name. He spoke to him in his wilderness. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, the Lord said, I will be with you. That's all you need to know today. If you belong to Jesus, hear those words. The Lord says to you, I will be with you. You are more than how much money you make. You are more than a GPA. You are more than a person who got rejected by the law school of your choice. You are more than what you look like, than how trim you are or how attractive you are. You're more than a single. You are more than a married person. Deep down, that's your identity. You're His. It's who you are. And when the world tears down and diminishes you, you can say, I'm with Him. I belong to the Lord. So let me ask you something this morning. Is the Lord calling your name? You can put him on in baptism. Even with your doubts, you can take the faith the size of a mustard seed that you have, and you can choose to move into this identity, to believe that that greater story can be your story, and you can be united with Christ in baptism.